coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 6th of August, 2023. I just want to make it clear. Apostle Paul, as we know him from the records in the New Testament, was appointed by God to be an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And the book that we're studying and we're involved in right now is one of those cities, church in the church in the city of Colossae, the book is Colossians. And as we've looked through this book, we've seen that Paul has spent a couple chapters dealing with the apologetic for the faith and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. If a person is going to look for spiritual hope, Paul says there's only be found one place, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he builds that apologetic for the first couple of chapters. And then as we move to chapter 3, he turns his attention to the practical application of having Jesus Christ first place in the life. And we see how he talks about the relationships that we find ourselves in on, on a daily basis. He talks about families. He talks about husbands and wives. He talks about parents and their kids. He talks about uh, those in authority and those under authority and how from any of those perspectives, it keeps coming back to the same thing, that Jesus Christ needs to be first place in the life. We said last week as we were looking as those that are under authority and those in authority, that the mission doesn't change. Paul has called all, well, the Lord has called all believers to be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. And as he gave us the Great Commission, he says that we are to make disciples going into the, all the world and we're to be baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we said, that's across the board. That's what a parent is supposed to be doing to a kid. That's what a kid is supposed to be doing to the parent. That's what an employer does. That's what an employee does. Every position along the way, every husband and wife are to be in that discipling process. So it's no surprise to us that when we come to the end of this book, and we're in chapter 4, we come to the end of this book that Paul, before he leaves all this topic, talks about sharing the good news. Because that's the very beginning of the discipling process. That's where it all begins. How we live our life in front of other unbelievers and then what words do we share? I think it was Joe Aldridge, who was at Oklahoma School of the Bible, says, everybody ought to be listening to the music of our lives. And sometimes we get around to sharing the words, too. <laughs> and so that's what Paul is talking about here. And I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. 
in verses 2 through 6. Not a very long section, but one that we could spend more than the time we're going to spend this morning. But let's look at it for a few moments anyway. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may be open to us, open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear with, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we want to develop a couple principles out of this passage that gives us a handle on what Paul is talking about when he talks about sharing the faith, sharing the gospel. The very first one has to do with prayer. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray uh, also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may speak clear which is how I ought to speak. So the very first thing, first principle that we come up with is persistent, attentive prayer is an essential ingredient in sharing the gospel. If we want to see, have, want to have a spiritual impact in people's lives, if we want the gospel to touch their hearts and the Holy Spirit to bring about a change in the lives of unbelievers and make them from dead in trespasses and sin to alive in God. Prayer needs to be at the beginning and all through the process. Persistent, attentive prayer. It's interesting that the word says being watchful in it. That is the idea of... of uh, Focus. Some have said, well, the disciples didn't do a very good job when Jesus pulled them aside and said, pray. And he went uh, up into the garden of Gethsemane and he said, why don't you pray? And he comes back and he finds them sound asleep. He says, that, but that isn't really the essence of that. That could apply. But what he's really talking about is be persistent. So the question would be, do you have a prayer list? Do you have names on that list of people that you're interested in and showing, knowing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ? How can you be persistent when you have to refocus all the time? We, we sort of laugh around our house. Anytime we're going to go anywhere, we have to make a list of what we're going to do while we're out. And then hopefully remember to take the list along. And then when we get there, hopefully to remember to take the list out and look at it. <coughs> Make sure that everything that we wanted to do is, I'm sure that none of you suffer any of those kind of problems. But by having a list, we go, oh yeah, 
oh yeah, that person, you know, if I was just sitting down to pray, I might have forgotten to pray for them. But because I got a list, I've got something I can look at. Something to be a reminder to me that that's what I want to do. And Apostle Paul says that we're to continue steadfastly. This is the idea of being persistent. I know that we've all had the experience in prayer, and I say, oh, I mean me too. When somebody says, hey, would you pray for me? And you go, oh, yeah. Well, I try and get in the habit that if somebody says to pray for me, that I do it right now. So later on, they say, have you prayed for me? I go, oh, yeah, I remember when you asked, I prayed. But I want to, if I want to be persistent in prayer, then I better write that down. I better get it down. I better do it. But I love this idea that Paul says, do it with thanksgiving. And you go, with thanksgiving, wow. I'm thankful for what the Lord has done in my life. How about you? Are you thankful? What would it be like if those that we were praying for would come to know the joy of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And are you thankful that God in his plan desired that you have a part in their change, in their life? By our persistent, attentive prayer, God can use that to change hearts and lives. And he's include us in the process. Did he need to do that? No. He's God who spoke the world into existence. I don't think he needed me around. But his desire is for me to join with him in this great adventure of sharing the faith, sharing the life in others. So what is the theme of our prayers? Well, you say, well, salvation, obviously. But he says that as Paul requests prayer for himself, and, and, and this is another thing, we talked about having a prayer list of people we're praying for a life change. Do we have another prayer list of those who are engaged in the same process? Are we praying for one another to say, Lord, may they be effective in their ministries among the people that they deal with? That they would like to say, come to know the Lord. Are we involved in our prayer for them? Paul says, I tell you, here I am. I am a person who was trained by the best of the rabbis. I was a spiritual leader in the, in the book, in the, in the whole book of Acts. We read about that. He was one that was right among the chief people. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he talks about all of his life experiences. And you go, Paul doesn't need prayer. I mean, I mean, he's an apostle. What does he need prayer? Paul repeatedly says, pray for me. Pray for me. So I suppose we could turn that around and say, if Paul needs prayer, we need to be praying for one another. Because we certainly need prayer be about what God has called us to do. So the themes of our prayer, our gospel prayers 
are for opportunities and clarity. Opportunities and clarity. What do I mean by that? Opportunities, he says, pray that the God may open the door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He says, I, I, I want you to be praying for me so that when an opportunity crosses my path, I'm attuned to it and take advantage of it. So you say, well, in what relations would that be? Well, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, with anyone. <laughs> I want to be able to say, I'm a spiritually in tune Holy Spirit, that if somebody crosses my path, not to be one of those people bugs other people, but I want to be a person who is sensitive to what is going on. I want to, to be able to look beyond the things that I'm interested in, to be looking at another person and say, what would the Lord mean to them if it changed their heart and their changed their life? So I'm praying for opportunities. So the question is, am I ready? Well, one of the things I want others to be praying for, for me is as I go about in my life and I, and I meet other people, they don't see them as people who have something to do. For instance, the gal at the, at the checkout. Well, that's her job. She's going to check out a winner passing by her scanner and I'm going to give her some money and I'm going to be out of here. Or is she a person who the Lord loves and came to earth and died for? Am I in tune with maybe what's going on in her life? Sometimes it doesn't happen that we know unless we ask. I've already shared before, and I'll just remind you of this and, and give you a, if you want a challenge, here's a challenge. Next time you go to a restaurant and the waitress comes or the waiter comes and, and says, uh, okay, what do you want? And start writing down. Before they wander away, say, say, we're about to pray for the meal. Is it okay if I pray for you? And if so, is there something special I could be praying about? Sometimes they go, no. And you, and you bow your head and start praying and they walk off. Sometimes that's the way it is. And you still pray for them, that they might have a good day, that they um, might not spill everything. They might make some good tips and be able to do well. But sometimes you ask, and someone will say, yeah, uh, my daughter was just in an accident last week. Could you be praying for her? I wouldn't have never known unless I asked. 
So if you want to use that tool, it's not copyrighted, you can use it, okay? Just to be attentive to opportunities. But the other thing that Paul said, and it's sort of, I took this to be the title of our message today, says, I want to make this clear that Paul says, be praying for an open door. And he says that I may make it clear in which I ought to, in how I ought to speak. By the way, backing up to the previous point about opportunities, what did Paul say in that passage? He says, I want an open door so I can proclaim this good news of which I'm in prison for. And you go, so you're saying, Paul, that you want us to be praying for opportunities while you're locked up? And that's exactly what Paul was saying. He says, I may be in prison. He says, that doesn't mean I don't see people. So who's he going to see? Those that bring the food to him. Those that are the jailers. Going to see those things. And he's there 24-7. So they're going to have a change of the guard. So who he's talking to today in the morning. He'll be talking to a different group at night. And in the middle of the night, they change the guards again. Paul says, well, I think you woke me up. I have an opportunity to talk to you for a little bit. So Paul took advantage of those opportunities, even in prison. But we moved on to the second point, which is clarity. He says that I may make it clear, which I ought to speak, which is how I ought to speak. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to volunteer but I want you to ponder it for a moment. Here's the question. If I called on you right this moment, could you stand up and give a clear presentation of the gospel? <laughs> or what would you share? What would you say? So I gave you a little outline for your bulletin here. If you don't have something to say, I'm going to give you something fairly succinct for you to say. Okay? And you can see that I developed this cross stick. Actually, I didn't. I stole it from somebody else. But I thought it was good. So the first part, G, is God created us to be with him. When God created man, he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And his whole desire was to be with him, with Adam and Eve. And down through the ages, God's desire is to be with us. He made us. So the first one is God created us to be with him. The second one is in contrast to that. Our sins separate us from God. Our sins separate us from God. What God intended, we have messed up. Our sins have separated us from God. 
We could spend some time on this because this is just an outline. We could talk about how we have sin. And a person sometimes needs to stop and pause and think about that because they go, I'm a good person. And you say, well, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever lusted after someone? Have you always been obedient to your parents? Showing great honor to them. Have you always wanted God to first place in your life? And you go, well, no, 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 no. You need to use the word always, no. He said, those things are an expression of sin that separates us from God. The third one speaks against working our way out of this situation, for the third one's sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Sometimes we have this notion, well, if I just live a good life, that will be sufficient. No. If you go stand before a judge, and you have uh, stolen some money from the local store down here, and they caught you red-handed. They've got you on videotape. they got six people who witnessed the whole thing. And you stand before the judge, and you go, well, judge, you got to let me go. Because the other six days a week, I didn't steal anything. In fact, I'm, I'm a really good person. I, I give to the poor. In fact, I've got donation receipts for the center down here where I turn in clothes all the time. And, and uh, when I come to a stop sign and there's somebody asking for some money, I, I give them some money. I do all those things so you can't charge me with that crime. You think that will fly? No, it won't. Because when you stand before a judge, it's for what you've done wrong, not what you've done right. And if you can say, well, look at the mass of things I've done right. I've only stolen a few times. What is the judge going to say? Guilty. Okay? So, our sins cannot be removed by any good deeds we've done because we still have that sin issue. So the fourth one is paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We couldn't do it through good works, but paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Of course, we can go into the whole character and nature of who Jesus Christ is, but that's a summary of why he came. He didn't come just to be a good person and live a good example and be a great moral teacher. He came to, to take care of of the sin problem that separated us from God. The E in gospel is everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Everyone. This is the offer that God has given to us. That's why Paul was persistent in, in praying for him to have opportunities and to speak with clarity because he knew this truth. Anyone who trusts in him 
alone has eternal life. And then the L of gospel, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It isn't just a promise of heaven in the future. It is a changed heart and life that begins right now. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. A simple outline to the gospel. Whether you use this or you use something else, it's going to have these elements in it. This is just a little acrostic to help you think your way through it. So our third point. We use every opportunity to reinforce the message of the gospel through your actions. I gave you that quote by Joel Aldridge when he talked about, let them hear the music of your life before you even share the words. If they don't find the song appealing, they're not really going to care about the words. They want to see what your life is like. Ecclesiastes says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield of what you're going. He says, now is the time to do it. And of course, this passage talks about to redeem that time. Take advantage of that time. Romans 13, 11 says, beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I don't think there's anyone under the age of 10 here. Probably older than that. Anyone under the age of 20? No. So what happened to all those days? When I was growing up, I go, man, those kids going to high school... They're old. Don't tell me you didn't think the same thing. Okay? And then you got out of high school and what happened to my 20s? And then what happened to my 30s? What happened to my... And it was like it was on a downhill roll and we're picking up speed here. We know that this is the time that we have. This is it. But how do we reinforce the message of the gospel? It's by our actions. It's by our actions. When a person is sick, do you take them a meal? If they're poor, do you share with them some of your food, some of your money? Person's in the hospital, do you go visit them? How about... How about somebody who needs a, a door held open for them or, or maybe carry some packages to the car or, or something like that? You, you're watching and looking. I came out of the post office the other day. I wish I could help this guy, but I, I didn't really have the tools. But he was sitting on the bench right beside the parking there. Big old four by four loaded with stuff in the back. And, 
And he was still there when I came out and I walked over to him. I said, you okay? Anything I could help you with? And he looked down and shook his head. He goes, no, my car opens with a key fob. It's sitting there on my seat. And the door's locked. He says, I've been trying to get into it. I can't get into it. I've called for somebody to come and help me. Well, I tried. <laughs> you know, can't, can't always help somebody. But you say, I could have very easily just walked by him. And there's been times when I've asked a question like that. And somebody just, you know, it's like the dam breaks and they let out all the stuff and frustration that they're facing. And because you were aware, and you said, so how can I help? How can I help? You know, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to be a pastor. Take my word for it. Because you have to eat your own words. My wife preaches my messages back to me. She said, I heard somebody recently say, She didn't do it in a mean way. Esther, don't smile because you preach those messages too. But anyway, <laughs> what happens when you're looking out for the neighbor's kids so they don't run out into the street? What happens when somebody is lonesome and give them a call and say, how are you doing? Is it always convenient? No. Uh -uh. Is it going to take some time? Yeah. Is it going to take some energy? Yeah. Are you going to see great reward from it? Probably not. But as part of living out that life of Jesus, sharing it in others. So we come to the last point here. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, basically redeeming the time in the King James, I think he says. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I'm giving you this statement, sort of a summary statement. Conversations should be winsome, either stimulating or apologetic. Conversation should be winsome. What do I mean by winsome? Something that's lovely, something that's beautiful, something that's attractive. Not necessarily something that puts somebody down. You're not going to win somebody to the Lord by, by smashing them into the ground. No. You want to be winsome. But Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. There's the idea of stimulating them. Have you, have you caused them to think about the issues of eternity? Have you caused them to think about their relationship with the living God? 
Have you caused them to think about heaven and hell? He says we should stimulate those conversations. And we go, Pastor, I don't. <sighs> You're asking me to go places that are uncomfortable. How do I make the conversation switch over to that? One of the best ways and a way that Paul himself used was to share your testimony. Share your testimony. Say, you know the reason why I'm even talking about this stuff or why I like to talk about the Lord is because of what he's done in my life. And then, boom, you're right into it. So it's okay if I take a moment or two and just share what God has done in my heart and life. That's why I'm excited to share these things with you. See? That wasn't too tough, was it? Paul writing to his young son of the faith, Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, wrote this, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. It isn't a, a thing where you're joining the debate club and you're going to win the debate. That isn't the point. But be kind to everyone. Apt to teach, patiently enduring evil. Evil. In other words, you don't have to correct all the evils of the world. That's for God to do. So you can endure it. Why? Because you have a higher mission. Your mission is to get beyond what's evil in the world to the gospel, the good news that contradicts, speaks against the evil. Correcting his appointments, opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. In other words, you know the condition of a lost soul because you've lived in that territory. And your desire is to help them leave it behind. So when I say apologetic, I don't mean you're apologizing for the gospel. That's not the idea behind that word. It is speaking truth contrary to the fact. Somebody says, well, that's all there is in life. You just go around, grab for all the gusto, and then you die. You go, well, that's not entirely true. Let me speak to that. And you speak to an eternity. You speak to a relationship with the Lord and without. And it says... Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Each person is going to be different. Each person is going to have a different background. Paul, when he started his ministry, and he came to Jews in a town, boy, that was his home. He knew about Judaism. He could speak to them. He, could, he would address them and, and talk about what it was like with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and all these. Go to a Gentile and they go, huh? What? All we know is the false gods 
of, of Rome. And they wouldn't say false gods are the gods of Rome. So Paul, when he spoke to someone like King Agrippa in, in Acts, it was completely different than when he spoke Mars Hill to all the philosophers there talking about the conversation went a different direction and all came back to Christ. You got to know who your audience is. You got to know who they are. I invite you to turn for a moment to Acts chapter 26. And I just want to make a comment here. In Acts 26, as Paul is speaking before King Agrippa, he's asked for the opportunity. Give it, he's been given permission. And he begins by a majority of this passage, and we won't read it now, you can read it later. He talks about his background, how he was a religious leader and how he persecuted Christians and how God met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life and turned it all around. <clears throat> and then down in verse 19, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. He says the reason they threw, they locked me up is because they thought that I was bringing Gentiles into the temple, which I did not do. And King Agrippa's response after he says, you know about all this stuff. You know about the history of Judaism. You know what the temple worship is like and who's in and who's out. He says, you know all this stuff. In verse 26, For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. King Agrippa said to Paul, what? In such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul didn't respond to that in the way that I'm sure that he was thinking. For he says, whether long, short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also hear me this day, all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except without these chains. In other words, Paul said to King Agrippa, I'm not only talking to you, I'm not only talking to your wife, not only talking to Festus, or any of these other people in this room, and any that might be overhearing it out in the hall. He says, my desire is to come to know Jesus. That's what I want. Is that our prayer? Paul is sharing this stuff with the church in Colossae and says, that's what I want you to be praying about. That's what I want you to be focused on. That's what I want you to do. And may the Lord bless us all in the process. And we see people come to know Jesus. Wow. To that end, we transition to the Lord's table. And you go, what do you mean to that end? Because the focus of the Lord's table is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The elements that we partake with, the broken unleavened bread, the fruit of the vine, all those things point to the person 
and the work of Jesus Christ in securing our salvation. We partake in remembrance of what he did on our behalf. So we're going to give you a moment to quietly prepare your heart in prayer to give thanks to the Lord for what he's done in your heart and life. And then we will come down and share the elements together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you for a time of worship, praise, for the gift that you have given us, and for your Son, who is obedient to you, and offered up himself on our behalf. We're about to share these elements, and they're just broken bread and grape juice, you know that. But to us, they are reminders, sort of like the list that we were talking about earlier. They are reminders to us of what you have done on our behalf and what Jesus Christ went through in order to secure salvation for us. No amount of works could have done it, otherwise Jesus Christ wouldn't have needed to come. It took the sacrifice of the Holy Lamb of God to secure forgiveness of sins. And so we come at this time to commemorate that great gift and to reflect on where we are because your son was willing to sacrifice, be sacrificed on our behalf. So we come as we share these elements. May they draw us into your presence. And Heavenly Father, may we glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. We're about to have the men come forward. We'll share the elements. Um, the Lord's Supper is that, just that. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Baptist Church Supper. We do those on the second Sunday after the service. <laughs> no, this is the Lord's Supper. We come to honor him. And so consequently, you don't have to be a member to partake here. You do need to know the Lord because it has no meaning otherwise. And it says we're to partake in a worthy manner as well, which means we give it the due respect that it deserves because of what it signifies. It, it points to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the, the men to come here, and as we share the elements, we ask that as they come and hand them out, you take them, hold them, and we'll give you a signal and we'll partake together. Some men, if you would. The first element is the broken matzah, the broken unleavened bread. And I can ask Frank if you'd lead us in prayer. We do thank you, Heavenly Father, that. You have provided a way for our salvation through Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would continue to guide us, protect us, and to bless 
all that we do concerning Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. said before we partake sitting down uh, the Jews in the Old Testament were to celebrate the Passover standing up because they were getting ready to to be delivered and we sit down because our deliverance has already been accomplished and they take this first element the broken bread representing Jesus Christ's body broken for us and we eat it in remembrance of him In the last Passover that Jesus had with his disciples before he went and secured so great a salvation, he, at the end of the meal, but still part of the service of Passover, he took the third cup and blessed it and gave it to his disciples. And I'm going to ask Tom if you lead us in prayer, please. Oh, our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again, to remember what you have done for us on the cross with the shedding of the blood, that you made the way of salvation and we can be in fellowship with you. We just thank you for all that you do in our lives and we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. The second element, the cup, we're reminded that Jesus took the third cup in the Passover meal, which even today is referred to as the cup of redemption, and talks about his blood. And we know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, but Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, offered up his life, his blood, so that we could have life. The sinless died for the sinners so that the sinners could have the life of the sinless. Let's drink in the new covenant through his blood. I'm going to ask the men to come back and, and receive your cups and uh, then Mike will lead us in the closing song. <clears throat> 